0: Saddam Hussein was captured and then hung by the the Sunnis. You remember when um, Muammar Gaddafi was captured and he was ultimately killed by his own people. And you remember when um, this is a guy in in Israel always wore the Yasser Arafat. Yeah, Yasser Arafat. You know he, and all these men, were despots. They were killers. They had been from their infancy, uh, from their beginnings. I know um, Yasser Arafat killed his first man when he was twenty years old. And many, and all these men that I've just mentioned have been terrorist leaders. They've been killers, and they've been bent on not only killing their own people, but they've also been uh, had this war with the Jews. Specifically, and the great Satan, which they call us, the United States. They call Israel Satan, and they call the United States the great Satan. And so their desire is, uh, Islam's desire is world domination. They're not just content on um, their own area. They want to spread that to everywhere else. They want to spread it and through oppression, through terrorism to get people scared. Sounds like a really good religion, doesn't it? You know, aren't you glad that Jesus is the Prince of Peace? Isn't that what Isaiah 9, verse 6, that was on your Christmas card? For unto us a child is born unto us, a son is given, and the world... And the government should be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Almighty God, the son who is going to be given, this baby born, this is going to be Almighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Almighty Father, Ever- Everlasting Father, really? This son is equal? He's God Almighty? He's the Everlasting Father? He's equal, in other words, with God the Father. But he's the Prince of Peace. And aren't you glad that you serve a God who loves people? He loves people. He loves those who have even persecuted his own people. And he loves those who have even persecute you. He, doesn't, he hates their religion because their religion separates them from him. And he knows what's best for them. But they've rejected him and rather rejected a false God. But God still loves them. He hates the religion because it separates them from him but he loves the person. Never forget that. That's the difference. See, we don't hate Muslims. I don't hate Muslims. I don't like their religion. I don't like any religion that keeps people away from the word of God, no matter what they call it. I don't like the the doctrine of Jehovah's Witness. I don't like the doctrine of the Mormons. I don't like the doctrine of even the Catholic Church, much of it. I don't like it. And biblically, there's reason for that. But we love the people. We don't hate the people. We hate what they do. We hate what they're, what they're believing in. And a lot, a lot of them don't even know the, the truth. They don't know the truth. They're, they're kind of ignorant of the truth. But that's why you and I get this great privilege, this great job to share that truth with them. So we don't hate them we hate what separates them from God. Amen? But God does not delight in the death of the wicked. However, turn with me to Romans 13. We're just going to look at some few things to kind of put into light. Because recently, you remember, let me just start with that shooting uh, in um, White Settlement, Texas. That's the name of the city. <clears throat> I'm off the cuff here, so just forgive me. But that church, if you recall, just, uh, I I forget what day. It was like the day, Christmas Eve or a couple days after Christmas. I I forget the exact day that it occurred. But that man broke into the church or came into the church, and evidently he had been a member or had uh, had frequented the church a few times. And for whatever reason, some say that the church didn't give him what he wanted. He wanted money, but the church wouldn't give him money. They helped him out with his needs, and they are counseling him and trying to encourage him. And so finally, one day, he just comes in with a shotgun, and he kills two parishioners. And within six seconds of when he pulled out that gun, there was an FBI, an ex-FBI agent. And you all have heard the story or the event. And he takes the guy out. He takes him out, saving countless, many more in the church, Now, these things are horrible. I mean, who likes to talk about these things? And that man was killed. To me, the man had died when he walked, when he had it in his mind to come into that church. He was already dead. There's no excuse for that. And by bringing this up, I don't mean to alarm you, but you know, we have a group of men. We call them the gatekeepers. These men, we know that ultimately God protects us, but they're listening, they're watching, they, they, they've been, they're, they're training, they're looking at stuff, looking at cameras, they're keeping an eye on things, unbeknownst to you so much. We got cameras, and we do that for a reason, and we may need to make even more changes. We certainly don't want to make the place look like Fort Knox, and I don't believe it does. Have any of you noticed there's a camera in this room? <laughs> it's right over there. And it's recording, 24-7. And they're all around the building. They're in a lot of the rooms. And they're there for your safety. But God is the ultimate one who keeps us safe. But I bring this up because those powers, and not only just in our fellowship and other churches, unfortunately we have to live in, that, in this culture now, and things are different than they've ever been. And so now we have to do these things. But don't let that deter you from coming out. If it does, then the enemy is one. But be encouraged and let's gather together. As the scripture says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as some do, but let's assemble together and worship our king and the Lord will keep us safe. And um, and if he does allow something to come in, we have men who are there to help and are trained. So rest assured in that. But look with me at Romans chapter 13. We're going to look at a handful of scriptures today. Uh, Let's see. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. In other words, in the King James, it says the powers that be are ordered by God. They're ordained by God. The powers that be all around us, governments. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. Do you read that? Just because you're a Christian and you may not agree with politically things that are going on even in our own state, it doesn't give us grounds to, uh, to, to, to amass guns and, and overthrow the government. No. That's not the way it's supposed to be done. We live peaceably with all men. And we obey the law, except when the law says, well, you've, you, you can't have that child that's in your, in your womb, ma'am. You got to abort that baby. At that point, we can say, no. I'm going to obey, I'm going to obey God, and I'm, going to, I'm not going to allow you to kill this child. I want to have this child. When it gets to that point, they've overstepped their bounds by leaps and bounds. But until then, we must submit to them. To our government, to our governing authorities. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil works. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? In other words, do you not want to be afraid? Well, if you don't want to be afraid, here's what you do you do what is good. And you will have praise from the same, for he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister. Notice, governments and armies that we have in our country, they are there by God's design, ordinance. And what is it for? It's to slow down the spread of sin. Because if there was not anything in place, everything would go and this place would be complete chaos. Do you understand that? Without rules and regulations and those who enforce them, we would literally be killing each other. I mean, it's already happening, but there is a stop to it. There is a slow, it's being slowed down by the presence of these entities that God has put into place. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Notice that. If you're doing what is good, chances are you're not going to have any problem with the government. If you're doing what is good. If you're an evildoer, you better be careful. And you'd better run if you're an, if you're an evildoer. If you're bent on doing evil things, be afraid. Because you're disobeying the law. And that's why they're there. They're there to protect and to keep and to prevent even things from happening. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. We pay taxes, and you may not like it, but those taxes are going to pay for, for ships that go out into the oceans and that protect us, our country. They go toward arming those who are going to uh, protect our country. They go toward buildings and, and those who are administrators and things of that nature. For they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Many of them don't know that, but that's why they're there. They don't know that they're God's ministers, but that's why they're there, to slow down the spread of sin. He says, therefore, render, therefore, to all their due. Taxes, to whom taxes are due. Custom, to whom customs are due. Fear, to whom fear. And honor, to whom Honor. And so we are to do that. Now, I want you to see something that's really interesting before we get over into 1 Peter here. Notice what it says in Romans chapter 12, just leading up to this whole thing about submitting to government. Look at Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 9 through the end of that chapter. What does he talk about? Paul's talking about behaving like a Christian, our witness our witness, doing those things. So it's really important that we are witnesses of Christ. And so we're not bent on guns and and and, and uh, bent on armies and, and those things. For us, we need to be about Christ. We need to be about being a Christian, to loving people. But right in the middle of that, he says, submit to the local governments and the powers that be that are over you. And then notice what happens right after uh, that section that we just read and. Uh, Romans 13, beginning in verse 8. Owe no man anything, talking about loving your neighbor. And then finally in verse 11, putting on Christ, putting on, putting off the old man and putting on Christ. So ensconced in this passage about governing and submitting to authorities, what we should be doing, bookending it, if you will, is the Christian conduct, the Christian character. That's what we're to be doing the government has got their thing to do. We've got our thing to do, and we need to do it faithfully. Turn with me to First Peter chapter 2. And the reason I bring this up is because of what has recently happened in Texas, and even what has occurred recently in Baghdad. First Peter chapter 2 Notice what it says in First Peter chapter 2 beginning in verse 11 Actually, beginning in verse 4, you know, uh, Peter talks about the the, the chosen stone, speaking of Jesus Christ and his his chosen people. You can see those headers in the New King James Version. And then he goes on to living before the world. In other words, again, Christian conduct, Christian character. And then he gets into verse 13, and this is where it just uh, kind of, again, is bookended by our Christian love and our Christian character. But then Peter says, "...therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man." So now we have Paul and Peter telling us the same thing. Again, bookending you know, uh, this 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 passage with the Christian character. But let me, let's go on and read it. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using your liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. And this is coming from, from Peter and also Paul. When they were ministering, they were in, ministering in the Roman, uh, Roman government that was persecuting them. He's saying, obey them. Love one another. Honor them. doesn't mean you have to like it, but you honor them. And then notice, immediately after this, Peter talks about, in verse 18, submitting to masters. It's all about submission, isn't it? And so bookending these passages, we see him encouraging us to obey those in authority over us and that they're there for a reason. They're God's minister's. And just as what happened recently, when Qasem Soleimani, he was the head of the Islamic Revolution, and it's been labeled a terrorist organization, he was struck, his vehicle was struck by two missiles fired from a US MQ-9 Reaper drone, and it killed him and those with him. It's a very targeted thing. And when you think about this thing, it kind of is unsettling because, you know, we don't like the idea of murder. But you have to understand, I don't have the list of this man's atrocities, but there are very many. He's killed many Americans. He's killed many of his own people. So this is a cold-blooded murderer, and he was continuing in his deed. He was continuing in his deeds. And there comes a time when God allows that to end, and his day was that day. And that's why we have these governing authorities. That's why we have the Army and the Air Force and the Marines and the Navy and the Special Force units. That's why we have them. They're there as ministers, whether they know it or not. And the reason I bring this up is because now, because of that strike and because he had been attacking, I don't know if you knew this, but he's been attacking the United States and the people of the United States and our bases, he was responsible for that uh, embassy Uh, issue in baghdad he's been responsible for a lot of other things they've been poking a stick in the eye of our country for months so he's been the aggressor and then finally we you know thank god for our president his decisiveness you may not agree with it but that's okay but that's why god put him there for such a time as this i believe that he is here and he's not our messiah Jesus Christ alone. Amen? As our Messiah. Never forget that. (laughs) He is not our Messiah. He's got problems. Every president has problems. Every president has issues with their character. He's no different. But he's decisive. And because of that, we are now in this, everyone's all tense about what how Iran is going to Retaliate, And before they retaliate, I just saw a news article this morning where he, he said that if you retaliate for this, we've got 52 other areas that we're going to take care of if you retaliate. We want peace, but if you hit us, again, you were the aggressor, aggressor. We responded to take out the threat to our interests, our own people. And it would be nice to end there, wouldn't it? But we know that it probably won't. But he warns them to not even think about it. And that increases the escalation. Turn with me to Ezekiel 38. Ezekiel 38. Back in 1979, actually prior to 1979, in Iran, there was a man named, the, his name was the Shah of Iran. And in 1979, uh, he was overthrown by the, the Shiite Muslim leader, uh, and the, his name is no, known as the Ayatollah Khamenei, and it's known as the Islamic Revolution. It started in 1979 up to the current day. And the Shah of Iran, who the United States had a great relationship with, he went into exile into Egypt, and he was... Under the auspices of Anwar Sadat, who was the president of Egypt until his death there in Egypt in 1980, the year following, he he, he passed away. But we had this great relationship, and now there isn't a great relationship now uh, that we have the United States with, with Persia. Iran is biblically called Persia. So when you read, as we read this, we need to understand that that's who it is. And so, um, and the reason why the, these current events are significant is because we see things ramping up. We see things taking more focus. Things were uh, blurrier about 10 years ago, and each year that goes on, the lens is getting a little sharper, and these things that we're about to read are getting a little clearer, a little clearer, and what that, in, that ought to encourage you. Number one, it ought to encourage you that God cares enough about you to tell you in advance the things that are coming. Are you worried about World War Three? As some people are hashtagging their, you know, news and stuff like that. No, it's not World War Three. World War Three is going to be when God brings His judgment upon the earth in the Great Tribulation. That's going to be World War Three, and it's going to be one-sided, and it's not going to be good. But up until that point, there's going to be skirmishes. But is it going to be total annihilation like we worried about in the 1960s with Khrushchev and and. Uh, uh, Kennedy, remember the Cuban Missile Crisis, how everybody was so excited about that, and we were that close to nuclear war, and we were wor- worried about when will that happen, or when will that happen? The whole world just obliterated. I don't think that's going to happen. The Bible doesn't say that, does it? So rest assured in that. It's not World War III. Do you get me? Does that encourage you? <laughs> because a lot of people are thinking world annihilation. I mean, we could with all the missiles, with you know, combined with Russia and America and everywhere else. But that's not what the Bible says. So rest assured, there's going to be skirmishes. But look with me um, at Ezekiel 38. Now, the, the chapter right before 38 is 37, and that talks about Israel coming together as a nation. They were dispersed throughout all the countries of the world Uh, After 70 A.D., remember, they call it the Diaspora, which means dispersion. The Jews were dispersed because of the Romans coming in and sacking uh, Jerusalem and destroying it in 70 A.D. All of the Jews scattered into Ukraine, into Russia, into Germany, into wherever they could go. They just scattered. And they were that way for hundreds of years, over a thousand years Almost two thousand years. In nineteen forty-eight, May fourteenth, nineteen forty-eight. You know, they came back again, and they became a nation after being dispersed for almost two thousand years. They maintained their national identity. They maintained their 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 language, their customs. Never before has this ever occurred in the history of mankind that this sort of thing has occurred, and yet they come back, and that's what. Ezekiel 37 is talking about now look with me with Ezekiel 38. We're going to do a lot of reading today because I want to read it to you and I want to stop on a few places and explain it. It says now the word of the Lord now remember Ezekiel is writing from Babylon and we're looking at like the 6th century BC here, okay? So he's writing in advance telling us of a battle that has not yet occurred and has yet even future to us. And some be, believe that this battle of Gog and Magog um, some people believe that this could happen at any time. And there's no reason that it couldn't happen in the next few months. It could happen in the first three and a half years of the Great Tribulation period that we know of, because we know halfway through that seven-year period is when the Antichrist will set up an image of himself in a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. But this event that we're reading about now could could happen in the first three and a half years of that, or it could happen sometime before the rapture of the church, or simultaneous with the rapture, or post Right after the rapture has occurred, when all this chaos is going, and now they have this altercation, it could happen. Not really sure, but let's read it. And the reason we're reading it is because we see things, again, looking very eerily similar to what the Bible's told us nearly 2,700 years ago. (laughs) So, now the word of the Lord came to me, to Ezekiel, living in Babylon at the time, he was in exile with the, with the Jews, saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog. Gog is a man, and the land of Magog is a specific land. And notice it says, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. And we believe that this is, is Russia, the Soviet Union, the old Soviet Union. And even in their own documents, they talk about themselves as Gog, in the land of Magog, in their own documents, in their own history. The Prince Rosh of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against him, prophesy against this man, and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the Prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. It could be uh, Moscow. It could be what this is referring to. We, we we can't be too dogmatic, but we can be pretty sure that that's what it's talking about, in to- Tobolsk, uh, meaning Tubal. I will return... to. To, I will turn you around and put hooks in your jaws and lead you out in all your army, horses and horsemen, and all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields. And they say that Russia is one of the biggest, has one of the biggest cal- cavalries in the world. And you may be wondering, why would they use horses and horse, horsemen to come against Israel, along with this other group that we're going to look at? Why would they bring that? Well, conventional warfare is exactly that. But we're not expecting conventional warfare nowadays. It's all done through a joystick with a drone like this guy, Kassam, was taken out, probably by a teenager in a dorm room. (laughs) I'm only kidding. But that is the high-tech stuff. But when somebody wants to invade a country, usually they come in with tanks, and they can see them coming, and the threat is there, the air missiles, all that stuff. But is it possible that Ezekiel's telling us exactly, not using figurative language, but maybe being specific that they're going to use horses and come in? It would certainly surprise everybody because that hasn't been done in a very, very, very long time. What a great way to take people by surprise. But notice... A great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Notice, and he lists those who are coming with him. Notice that Russia is going to be the aggressor. They are going to be the leader in this. And notice who they're going to bring with them. Persia, who everybody knows is Iran. It is Iran. Ethiopia and Libya Are with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all of its troops, the house of Tagarma from the far north. This is speaking of the area around Turkey from the far north and all of its troops. Many people with you. Prepare yourselves and be ready, you and your companies that are gathered about you, and be a guard for them. For after many days you will be visited. Notice, in the latter years, whenever the Bible speaks of latter years, it's speaking of... The latter years, the years that we're living in now, and maybe even uh, further along here. In the latter years, you will come into the land of those brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel. Who are the people that were gathered out of many nations that have been chased out? as the Jews. And he even says... And the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate, they were brought out of nations, and now all of them dwell safely. You will ascend, Gog, and your, and your group, including Iran and Persia, uh, or I'm sorry, um, Russia and Iran, coming like a storm, covering the land like a cloud, you and all your troops and many peoples with you. Therefore, thus says the Lord, on that day it shall come to pass that thoughts will arise in your mind, and you will ha- make an evil plan. So God is going to hook the jaws of Russia, and how is he going to do that? There's many different conjectures about what that hook in the jaw might be. It could be uh, that, is, that uh, Russia's uh, because they're lacking in, in some resources, maybe they're going to come after Israel uh, for resources, for oil or natural gas, and take over those resources. It could be that. It could be the fact that for the first time in history, Russia and Iran are confederate. They are allies of one another. They've never, ever, ever been allies, ever, ever. And the Bible tells this, you know, in the 6th century BC, tells us of two nations that have never been confederate, but now they are. Do you understand? Now they are. They've never been. And what is that hook in the jaw? Do you ever notice that whenever we've done something with Iran, whenever the United States has come against Iran for something that they've done? I'm surprised Vladimir Putin hasn't said anything yet, but give it a day or two. He's thinking. He's always come to the aid of his ally, his friend, Iran. Could it be the hook in the jaw that as we go after Iran and, we go, and if they retaliate, we're going we're gonna to mean business? And, and Russia is going to say, you know, at some point, And if it doesn't happen at this moment, the stage is being set. Do you understand? If if this is not coming, the moment when this battle occurs, which it could and it may not be, whatever it is, it's setting the stage for something yet future, and the hatred and the anger is being built up. And God tells us all about it right here. Don't be afraid. He says Gog that you will a, a thought will come up in your mind and you will make an evil plan and you will say I will go up against the land of unwalled villages I will go to a peaceful people and relatively they live in peace their military is one of the one of the best in the world one of the best they're a small country but boy talk about a hornet's nest they've got the most technologically advanced uh, equipment and they they're trained like you would not believe my brother when 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 uh, his, he's got like 500 or some guys underneath his command. He's a major down in Lee County, Florida. And they have guys from Israel come over and train them in hand-to-hand combat and how to use guns and how to shoot. These guys are amazing. My brother's jaw just drops every time they come over because they're in the battle all the time. You know, With us, it happens every now and then, every now and then. But with them, it's every single day they're faced with their enemy, right? And so they're, they're very well equipped. They're very well in shape. But notice, they're going to come up, but for the most part, Israel is living in this uh, peaceful place right now, and it will, um, they're going to have their moments. But it says, I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates, to take plunder, notice, and to take booty, to stretch out your hand against the waste places that are again inhabited and against a people gathered, notice, from the nations. The people gathered from the nations are who? Israel, right, the Jews, who have acquired livestock and goods, who dwell in the midst of the land. And notice, Sheba and Dedan, this is Saudi Arabia. Notice what Saudi Arabia does. They've always been a very moderate force in the world, even with the United States. When everything has gone over in the Middle East during the Iraq War, where do we launch our planes from? Saudi Arabia. We have a relationship with Saudi Arabia. The United States does, and Sheba Dadan, and the merchants of Tarshish, and all their young lions will say, "Have you come to take a plunder?" In other words, they're not really active. They're just kind of like they're kind of like neutral. They're kind of like, "What are you doing? What, 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 what's up with you? What are, you, what are your plans?" but they don't do anything. They're just kind of neutral. Have you gathered your army to take booty, to carry away away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, to take great plunder? Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to Gog, is Gog Vladimir Putin? Could be. If he's replaced by someone at some point, which I don't know that it'll happen until his death, because he's a man who's not going to give up his power. He'll create a rule. He'll create a law that keeps him in power if he has to. Therefore, prophesy and say to God, Thus says the Lord God, On that day when my people Israel shall dwell safely, will you not know it? Then you will come up from your place out of the far north. Out of the far north. If you go directly from Israel and you go immediately north, you're going to run right through Turkey, which is also a player in this game, and you're going to run right into Moscow. You're going to run right into the Soviet Union. Just a little bit, a few degrees. You go straight north and a few degrees west, and you're going to find Moscow. Then you will come from your place out of the far north, you and many peoples with you. And we already saw who those people are, all of them riding on horses, a great company, and a mighty army. You will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. It will be in the latter days. This is the second time he said it's the latter days. And whenever it says that, it's speaking of at least the days we live in now and, and, and even yet future. And I will bring you against my land. Notice, who's bringing, who's making this happen? God is bringing Gog into the land. For why? He's going to destroy him. And God's going to allow, God's going to bring him, but notice what we read before, that an evil intention, an evil thought came into the heart of Gog. Isn't that funny? God is leading him, but the man is sovereign over his own destiny. He's not a robot. His own heart is leading him, and God's saying, you see that heart? You haven't changed it. I'm going to draw you just like I did Pharaoh. There was a point where God hardened Pharaoh's heart. The same thing with Gog. He says, I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me when I am hallowed in you. I'm going to be revered in you, Gog, because of what I'm going to do before their eyes. Thus says the Lord God, are you of whom... Are you he of whom I have spoken in former days by my servants, the prophets of Israel, who prophesied for years in those days that I would bring, against, that I would bring you against them? And it will come to pass at that time, when God comes against the land of Israel, says the Lord, that my fury will show in my face. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath I have spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. So at the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, the beasts of the field, all creeping things that creep on the earth, and all men who are on the face of the earth shall shake at my presence. The mountains shall be thrown down, the steep places shall fall, and every wall shall fall to the ground I will call for uh, let me just stop there for a quick second because a lot of and and it could be if if you know anything about Israel you know that they're very well armed in the valley of Megiddo and if you go to Israel with us you're going to see this place and it's fantastic it's in the valley of Megiddo it's up there in the northern part of Israel and there's a landing strip right in the middle and you will be up on the mount on on the um, uh uh can't think. My brain's dumb. <laughs> We're going to be up on the um, one of the mountains there. And uh, you can actually hear the planes coming in, the F-14s, the F-23s, whatever those winged creatures are. They come in, and they land on that strip, and then they just disappear. There's little, on their landing strip, they get over these certain areas, and the ground goes like this and brings them underneath, and they can maneuver those planes all around that big field. There's, it's like a hornet's nest. It's really wonderful to see and to hear. But when this earthquake occurs, is it possible that all the nuclear missiles that they've got in these different mountains, and they know that they're there, we know that they're there, this armament of, of F-14s underneath, when an earthquake of that magnitude happens, because nobody's going to know when it happens, is it going to totally decimate Israel's defenses so they can't defend themselves like they would normally? It's very possible. I think it's very, very possible. So now you've got Israel... Potentially in this place where they can't even defend themselves. And notice, I will call for a sword against Gog throughout all my mountains, says the Lord. Every man's sword will be against his brother, and I will bring him to judgment with pestilence and bloodshed. I will rain down on him, notice, on Gog, on his troops. That means all those of Persia, all those of Uh, of those other nations that we mentioned, Ethiopia and Libya, and those of Turkey who are all going to come together in one army to obliterate Israel. There's going to be a great earthquake, and perhaps it's going to knock out Israel's defenses. It's very probable. And because they're on horseback and they're not using uh, modern weaponry, it's going to be very easy for them to come in. But notice what God does. I will bring bloodshed upon you. I will rain down on him, on his troops, and on the many peoples who are with him, flooding rain, great hailstones, fire, and brimstone. Thus I will magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations, and they shall know that I am the Lord. God is going to take care of this battle for them. They're not going to have to probably do anything. And this is not the first time that God has responded like this. Do you remember if you've been here on Thursday nights when we've been going through the book of Joshua? There was a time when, as they were conquering the land of uh, the central in uh, the southern uh, campaigns in Israel, that there came one city that, as the enemy was coming out against them, God sent hail and brimstone from heaven, and more were killed by what God had done to their enemy than they had to do with their sword. It was an amazing event, and God's going to do it again. He's sometimes, you know, it's funny to me, I shouldn't say funny, it's interesting, <laughs> that The Hebrew or the Jewish capital punishment has been stoning. and Isn't it interesting that God is going to rain down these stones from heaven and he's going to vanquish the enemy in his way. But let's go on to verse, uh, chapter 39, and we'll just read through it. It says, And you, son of man, prophesy against Gog, against this leader of Russia, and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and I will turn you around and lead you on, bringing you up from the far north and bring you against the mountains of Israel. Pretty descriptive, isn't it? There's really no um, need to guess who these players are. They're very clear. Then I will knock the bow out of your left hand and cause the arrows to fall out of your right hand. You shall fall upon the mountains of Israel, you and all of your troops and all the peoples who are with you. I will give you to the birds of the prey of every sort and to the beasts of the field to be devoured. You shall fall on the open field, for I have spoken, says the Lord God. Isn't that amazing? I think a copy of the scriptures, and especially this chapter, these two chapters, should be sent to Vladimir Putin and say, whoever you are and whoever's going to succeed you, know this because this is what's going to come. And see, this is the thing about the heart of man, especially the unregenerate man. They'll read something like this and scoff it off and pretend like it doesn't exist, and then it comes to pass. And can you imagine the horror if he even has an inkling what the Jewish scriptures say, what the scriptures say? Can you imagine Ray Assis's? They're getting ready to come in and invade Israel, and these things start to happen, and his mind starts to think, oh, I remember when Joel Rosenberg told me about this. (laughs) I remember somebody telling me about this and to know that his doom is coming. All of his armies, all those Islamic nations are going to come against, and they're going to lose badly. Now, again, God does not delight in the death of the wicked. Amen? We don't rejoice over any of these things, but this is up to God. This is his doing, and we can rest in it. And that's my point this morning is to, in light of current events, these are the things that are coming. And if these things are starting to happen, the stage is being increasingly set. Would you agree? I mean, I thought 10 years ago that the stage was pretty well set and all the chess pieces were on the board and things were moving but now the end game is starting to play out. God is moving his pieces and, his, and, and he, he's allowing people to have their own free will in the whole thing. And he's moving and, and it's getting close to checkmate. You shall fall upon the mountains of Israel, you and all of your troops... Let me go on to um, verse 5. You shall fall in the open field, for I have spoken, says the Lord, and I will send fire on Magog and on those who live in security in the coastlands. And whatever this means, remember, as Ezekiel is prophesying, and he's describing these things that uh, just using uh, language that he can understand. He's, he's writing things in language that, that he understands. And, and we have to kind of decipher what that could be. And it could be sending fire upon them. Who, who knows what that means? Is God sending the fire from heaven? Is it fire coming from the United States? Uh, is it maybe a couple of missiles that Israel is able to launch because they got something mobile that wasn't affected by the earthquake and now they can send a couple over? We don't really know. Could be from God, it could be from man. The Bible doesn't say, so we really can't be too dogmatic about it. He says, Then you will know that I am the Lord, so I will make my name, I will make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not let them profane my holy name anymore. And then the nations shall know that I am the Lord the holy one in Israel surely it is coming notice how confident god is in this surely it is coming and it shall be done says the lord i don't know about you but whenever i read stuff like that i just want to jump up and down like a like an excited cheerleader give me palms i don't care i'll you know <laughs> it's exciting I love it when God is moving. Aren't you excited when God is moving? And again, he doesn't delight in the death of the wicked, but here it is. God is serious about sin. He's serious about his people, and he's serious about you and I, his bride. He's very serious, and he takes it very seriously. Know that you are covered by a great shepherd. This great shepherd will go to any length to, to bless you and to protect you. And he loves all these people that are going to be destroyed. Do you think God hates them? No, he doesn't. But you know as well as I do, there comes a point when you cross that line, and only God knows when that line is crossed, and he says, that's it. There's no more hope for you. And see, that's a dangerous part of God's sovereignty, as we don't know when that line is, but he knows. So how important it is for us to be on his side. How important is it for today for us to be sold out for Christ? So let just, let's just go ahead and read this and we'll end. Bear with me here. Then the nation shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. Verse 8, surely it is coming and it shall be done, says the Lord. This is the day which I have spoken. Amen. Amen. Love it when God is that confident. Because he can be. Then those who dwell in the cities of Israel will go out and set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and the bucklers, the bows, the arrows, the javelins, the spears, and they will make fires with them for seven years. There's going to be a lot of weapons that they're going to be able to burn. And they will not take wood from the field nor cut it down from any of the forests. Notice, they're not going to use wood, so whatever these weapons are, could it be nuclear weapons that they can remanufacture some of that uranium? Who knows what weapons it is, but whatever it is, they're going to use it, and it's not going to be wood and they're going to burn it. They're going to use it for energy to, to make warmth and, and, and for energy because they will make fires with the weapons, and they will plunder those who plundered them and pillage those who pillaged them. Notice who the aggressor is and who the aggressor is not. The aggressor was Gog in Persia in Ethiopia and Sudan and, and, and Libya. Those are the aggressors. And it will come to pass, verse 11... In that day that I will give Gog a burial place there in Israel, the valley of those who pass by east of the sea. And he's talking about the Dead Sea, right to the east of the Dead Sea, and what we know as the land of Jordan, or the land of Moab. This is where this great army is going to be buried. There's going to be millions of them. They're going to be buried in this. And it will obstruct travelers even, because there will be they will bury Gog and all this multitude. Therefore they will call it the valley of Hamangog. For seven months the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. Indeed, all the people of the land will be burying and they will gain renown for it on the day that I am glorified, says the Lord God. They will set apart men regularly employed with the help of a search party to pass through the land and bury those bodies remaining on the ground. There's going to be such a great decimation that there's going to be people hired out, contractors. That's all they're going to do is roam through the land and find dead bodies and bury them. That's all they're going to do. In order to cleanse it, at the end of seven months they shall... Make a search, and the search party will pass through the land. And when anyone sees a man's bone, he will set up a marker by it and, uh, till the barriers have buried it in the valley of Gog The name of the city uh, will also be Hamona, which will be a city devoted for this. Thus they shall cleanse the land. And as for you, son of man, thus says the Lord, speak to every sort of bird and every beast of the field. Assemble yourselves and come. So God is speaking to the beasts of the field and the fowls of the air. When you think about the sacrifices of Israel, wasn't it always an animal that was sacrificed for the person in place of of the person? Now it's going to be man who is sacrificed for the sake of the carrying. They're going to be carrying for the beasts of the field, the birds of the air. Notice, assemble yourselves and come, gather, to your, gather together from the sides to my sacrificial meal, which I am sacrificing for you a great sacrificial meal on the mountains of Israel, that you may eat flesh and drink blood. You shall eat the flesh of the mighty. Drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams and lambs, of goats and bulls, all of them fatlings of Bashan. You shall eat fat till they are full and drink blood till you are drunk at my sacrificial meal, which I am sacrificing for you. You shall be filled at my table with horses and riders, with mighty men, and with all the men of war, says the Lord God. And I will set my glory among the nations. All the nations shall see my judgment. And can you imagine, when this occurs, everyone is going to realize, when God comes to the aid of his people, everyone is going to know that God is God in heaven. He is Almighty God, Jehovah God. There's none like him. Amen? Hallelujah? (laughs) There's no one like him. I don't know about you, I get really excited. I'm not excited for these people, but they better take note because it's coming. And it will surely come to pass, says the Lord, right? It's going to come to pass. They'd better listen. And we know that they will not. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Mr. Putin, you better listen because it's coming. And if it's not you, it's going to be your successor or someone who is over you. It's coming. I will set my glory among the nations. All the nations shall see my judgment which I have executed and my hand which I have laid on them. So the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord. Notice, even the house of Israel will realize, because right now, even they are in unbelief. Most of the Jews are atheists. Most of them are just humanistic. They don't really believe that Jesus came. But on this day, their eyes are going to open. Because they are the, one of the greatest military mites, and their military for some reason, probably because of the earthquake or other reasons, they're going to be left incapacitated, and God's going to reveal himself and win this war for them as the good shepherd. Isn't that what a good shepherd does? He goes out before the flock. What did Joshua do? He goes out before the Israel, Israelites. So the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from that day forward, and the Gentiles shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity. They'll remember that they went into captivity in 722 B.C. to the, um, to the Assyrians. And they'll remember that they went into Babylon in 606 and, and, and 20 years later their temple was destroyed in 586. And notice he says, according to their uncleanness and according to their transgressions, I have dealt with them and hidden my face from them. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, now I'll bring back the captives of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel. And I will be jealous for my holy name. Notice, his holy name. He's jealous for his holy name. And after they have borne their shame and all their unfaithfulness, in which they were unfaithful to me, then they dwelt safely in their own land and no one made them afraid. Notice, God is not letting them off the hook. They've done bad things. They've been idolaters. God has punished them for those things. He's brought judgment upon his own people for their unrighteousness, for the things that they've done. But he says, even in spite of that, because of my promises in the Old Testament, I am not going to make a full end of you. I'm going to bring you back back into your land and I'm going to make you dwell safely and I'm going to protect you and if that promise is good and we know that it is how much more does he love and care for you to me that put ought to put a big smile on your face you know like the smile on your face like when you get a big bowl of ice cream with those Spanish peanuts crushed on top with some uh, drizzled uh, strawberry sauce that kind of smile but probably a lot bigger and brighter Notice in verse 27, When I have brought them back from the peoples and gathered them out of their enemies' lands, and I am hallowed in them in the sight of many nations, then they shall know that I am the Lord your, their God who sent them into captivity among the nations, but also brought them back to their land and left none of them captive any lo- longer. Is he the, the great shepherd who goes after that sheep, that one sheep? He leaves the 99, he goes after the one, he brings him back. And I will not hide my face from them anymore, for I, have, for I shall have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, says the Lord God. Amen. Amen. So does that encourage you? I hope that it does. And the, and the reason, again, I, I wanted to just, before we get into the book of Jude, we'll get into that next uh, Sunday. But in light of the events that are going on, I think this is very timely for us to take a look at. To know what is coming. It may not happen now, but the, the ingredients are all there and all the chess pieces are on the table and they're moving and they're getting close and God is looking down and he already knows the end game. He already sees that king mated and toppled. He already sees it. He can tell us in advance. So doesn't that encourage you as a child of God to know that he is the good shepherd and you can trust him with everything. You can trust him and you can let all your fears and all your angst and watching the news. The world is going nuts. Sorry for keeping you, but the world is going crazy and that's going to affect you. Because if you're a news watcher, you're going to watch the news and you're going to start to lose your peace if you haven't already. That's why I wanted to share this with you today so that you won't lose your peace. It's not exciting to talk about. Nobody likes to talk about it. But it's coming. And whether this is the time or whether it's just setting the, the, the set for something future, it will come to pass. And it's going to happen exactly as the scripture says. Exactly as the scripture says. Isn't that amazing? Is he an almighty God? Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he glorious? Isn't he worthy to be worshipped? Isn't he worthy to be... Uh, um, to be spoken of? Isn't he worthy of your life? Isn't he worthy of the first fruits of your strength, of everything that you are? Isn't he worthy? The song that we sang, is he worthy of all this? He is worthy of all these things. God is worthy. Jesus is worthy. He wants to encourage you today. Do not lose heart. Do not be fearful. The good shepherd, Jesus Christ, tells you in advance. He is the good shepherd who goes before you. And he's given it to us that we might have peace, that we can rest our head on the pillow and say, Lord, this is scary stuff, but I know your word is true. There's not going to be a World War III. I have no idea what's going to happen in America. Are there sleeper cells? I don't know. Are we going to have little things happen here and there? Possibly. Is it going to be World War III? No. World War III, when it happens, it's going to be in the Great Tribulation. And the world, that's going to be a war. And it's going to be (laughs) one-sided. And the enemy loses. Christ wins. Because he is the lover of people. He's a lover of man. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We pray that, God, you would bring us peace in spite of these things, Lord. We know that you're the prince of peace. And, Lord, even though you are the Prince of Peace, Lord, you know that these things um, must happen, Lord. And, and you allowed your, your children, your, the, the children of Israel, Lord, at times to go in and take over lands uh, that had been given over to their own lusts, Lord. And we don't like to think about that, God. We don't like to even consider it. But, Lord, we see that you're a God of love and you're also a God of judgment. And it has to be both. Because a God of love is also a God who hates sin and must bring accountability to evildoers. So, Father, help us to trust you, Lord. Help us to not delight as you say in your word. You don't delight in the death of the wicked. Help us not to either, Lord, but rather to choose life, to choose life. You've put before us life and death, and you said, choose life. And so, Lord, we want to choose life. We want to choose Christ today again in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said?